that is an old song. When I say old, that song's older than 60 to 70% of the people in the room. Does anybody know who wrote that song? Dottie Rambo is her name. Um, that song came out in 1974, 49 years ago. That is a good song. Somebody, Trudy said, that's young. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I, love, I love a mixture. That's what we do. We do that stuff here on purpose, y'all. You heard a brand new song, No Turning Back. You heard a hymn, Higher Ground. You heard, what was the other song we did? What was the first song we sang? Great Are You, Lord, another worship song. All that stuff is done on purpose because you need to hear it. Now, don't tell me that y'all are riding in your cars around all week long and only listening to new music. I know some of y'all are in your truck busting out some He Stopped Loving Her Today. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Just sandwich it with some... Old, some good stuff too, some, some, some new stuff too. It's, the point is, we all need to hear the new stuff and the old stuff as long as it's good, as long as it lifts up the Savior. I love the words of that song. Judges 2 is where we're at tonight. Judges chapter 2, we finished the book of Joshua, now we're into Judges. Uh, Pastor Colin did a great job last week on giving us a breakdown of really what is going to be one of the main themes of the book of Judges, and that is disobedience. Um, and from chapter 1, we're going to see that theme introduced and see it kind of in action in chapter 2. Chapters 1 and 2 are still, chapter 2 is still technically part of the introduction to this book. Um, think of it as we go through this narrative uh, tonight and for the next few weeks, think of chapters one and two, especially tonight, as kind of a table of contents. Everybody has a table of contents in the book that you read or a preface, kind of a, uh, a foreword of what's going to happen and what's going to come. Um, how, let, let me open this, this illustration. How many college sports fans do we have in the room? That's right. That's right. Okay. It's always fun to see our teams do well you know, for several years on end. And life is always better, right, when your team is winning. Um, like, don't come to me in February if Duke beats Carolina and say, like, how's it going, Pastor Matt? How's your walk with the Lord? It's not going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be good in February and March if that happens. Nobody wants to lose. That's not, not a very spiritual answer for you. I know, I'm sorry. But, and, and neither are you, by the way, if your team loses. You don't... You're in a different place up here if your team goes down, right? Think about these teams. There's, there's Carolina. There's Alabama. There's, there's Georgia. There's Michigan. There, and all, all you see, these teams year over year after year, they're always winning, right? Wrong. Wrong. So wrong. Because every team that you watch has had some years where it's been kind of like, oof. Do I just turn the channel? Do I just turn Netflix on? I'll watch the first half and say I'll watch the game. We've all had some years like that. There were some dark days, Carolina fans, in the early 2000s when Coach Dean Smith left and we had to watch our teams go 8-20 and 20 
It hurt. It hurt my soul. Some of you have had, if, if you're a fan of any of those winning teams like that, you have all had that happen. Even in those powerhouse teams and those programs, there are off years, and usually more than just one season. Some of the most loyal fans have had to endure their share of subpar performance on the court and on the field. Um, it's like a rite of passage you have to take. There, none of these expansion teams that you see on TV start right out of the gate with a winning season, right? It doesn't normally happen. There have to be some years where you pay the price and build your team up over time. And even then, sometimes you lose, right? Sometimes it's a player that's traded away or a bad recruiting season. Um, what's the go-to word when teams are typically are struggling? They call it what? A rebuild. Somebody said Carolina? <laughs> Man, come on. That hurt. It's a rebuild. That also, you also see Duke. Duke, yeah. These teams are saying, oh, we're in a rebuild this year. We're going to be heading into a season of a rebuild. The Dallas Cowboys have been rebuilding for 20 years. That's what this is. I realize that not everyone is a sports fan, so let me use a different illustration. It's really nice outside today, isn't it? Because it's fall. This is my favorite time of year. This is, I love this. Some of you are shaking your head. You want the summer weather? Go home. This is, this is my, the best time of year. Look at the seasons of, 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 of the climate that we have here in North Carolina. People go crazy over watching these leaves of different colors. The people spend money to go watch leaves die. It's so beautiful the way the leaves die. Let's go drive by it. That's, that's really what, I'm, I'm right there with you. I want to go see it too. That's what people do. Life is full of seasons, and they're ever-changing, but the irony of that is, as we celebrate the change of seasons, we're celebrating something that literally happens every year. You can mark it on your calendar. Yes, it's a time of change, but it's always coming back around without change or without deviation. In this climate, we know that at some point it's going to be 900 degrees, and then it's going to immediately be 40 degrees. We're going to see women going and getting pumpkin spice lattes, and then it's going to turn into their Christmas drinks, and Antonella is going to be there at Starbucks with a whole tray of Starbucks for you. Because you change seasons and you want different drinks. I don't care anything about coffee. I'll tell you what I like. I'm not making it up. There's, there's no working theory to this, but it's the truth and just deal with it. The seasonal Oreos are better than the regular Oreos. <laughs> you get more feeling. I've measured it. The red and orange Oreos are better. I don't care anything about coffee. Give me all the seasonal Oreos. But you only get them one time a year. You only get them one time a year. And, but it happens every single year, thankfully, right? It happens one time a year. But you can bank on it. It's going to happen. It's a ridiculous example, I know. I'll tell you what I really like. Seasonal Reese's Cups. The football Reese's, come on. It's got more peanut butter in it. Somebody back me up on this. More sugar for my money. That's what I need. 
Seasons are made up of these things. This is what we're getting at. Made up of cycles. A cycle is a pattern. Yes, we know seasons change. Yes, we know that teams have terrible years, then they're back on top. It is a cycle. Cycles circle just around back one to another at some point unless something completely disrupts the cycle. Have you ever seen that happen? Maybe when you put your clothes in the washing machine and then you turn around and your washing machine's halfway across the room? That's never happened to y'all? Me either. Something's disrupted that cycle. The clothes are too heavy on one side. Cycles. That's what we're about to get introduced to tonight in the book of Judges, especially in chapter 2. Cycles in the life of Israel. As we open up to the book of Judges, we're going to be introduced to person after person after person after person that God brings on the scene to rescue Israel because they cannot get their act together. And then they'll repent, and then they'll relapse, and then they'll repent, and then they'll relapse, all while a faithful, merciful God keeps his covenant to Israel and sends someone to help rescue them. Let's, read, let's, let's just read the first ten verses of chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorn in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of the place Bohim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had, been, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, in the Mount of Ephraim, and the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside that we're experiencing. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and we uh, zoom out a little bit and, and look at the patterns of the children of Israel, Lord, may we take some things away from it, Lord, and help Help me to say all that needs to be said and to not say anything that doesn't need to be said. Uh, Lord, I pray that everything that's said tonight would be done for your glory and your honor alone, to lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go back and look at verse 1 really quick. And an, and, the, and an angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this happens several times. And uh, sometimes it's the angel of the Lord. Sometimes it's an angel of the Lord. But this is described and, and identified as a Christophany or a theophany, which is a, an, a, a pre-incarnate time where Jesus appears to someone. He says, I made you to go up out of Egypt. I will never break my covenant with you. It's pretty, 
It's fairly obvious who is speaking here. Obviously, this is a big deal whenever this happened in Scripture. Uh, there's a couple other times in the Old Testament where this happens. In Genesis 18, three angels come to visit Abraham and Sarah, and one of them is the angel of the Lord. Joshua chapter 5, the commander of the Lord's army uh, is, is, is there, and he says, are you on our, and Joshua comes up to him and says, are you on our side or on, your, on the other, other side? And he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. You better get on my side. He says, I will never, never break my covenant with you. One commentary that I read said this, It is God's general pattern to remind us of his love and faithfulness before calling us to obedience or confronting our sin. We love him because he first loved us. That's in 1 John. And we can only really obey him as we walk in his love and abide in his covenant with us. He's reminding the children of Israel here, I will never break my covenant with you. So after the angel of the Lord speaks to the people, and after all this has happened, let's skip down to verse 4. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept, and they called the name of that place Bohem, that means weepers, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Now we could stop right there, and we could say, hey, they did the right thing. They responded well to seeing this angel of the Lord. And the book of Joshua reminds us of times where Israel stopped at pivotal points in their journey. We just went through it, through Canaan, and they worshipped, especially after big things had happened. Uh, you know, the, the Judges 2, the Lord himself has spoken to them, and they stop and they weep. They're emotional, and they worship. Good for them, right? That's a good thing to do. God has shown up and given them a warning about their disobedience, and Israel has responded in tears. The next step in the process would, obviously, you'd think to be a noticeable change in the behavior, right? How many times have we gone into worship, gone into a church service, sang the songs, worshiped with the choir, heard a message, and had an emotional experience, but we walked out the same as we came in? We might say we had a great time in there, but if God's word did not compel us to walk out differently than we came in, then we did not, and we did not fully obey. We've missed the point. This is about disobedience and obedience. The book of Joel tells us that he says this: "Rend your heart, not your garments." He's saying change from the inside out. There was not a change, a noticeable change in the people of Israel. We're going to see if this happened or not after this display. Let's look at verse 6. Uh, verses 6 through 9 is kind of a recap of Joshua, of the end of Joshua's life, a quick snapshot of the state of Israel. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man to his inheritance to possess the land. And it gives all this right here. Verse 9, they buried him. Verse 10, and also all that the generation were, were gathered unto their fathers after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. This new generation of Israelites had nothing to do with God. One generation removed. One generation removed from watching God literally make the sun stand still in the book of Joshua. One generation from watching them, God miraculously give them the land of Canaan. One generation from watching walls fall down because they screamed. 
all because it's what the Lord had done. How did this happen? How in the world did this happen? Think about what they had seen. And all of a sudden, a generation is oblivious to God? Is that how it works? It's, a, it's, it's not overnight. It's a slow fade. They slowly began to in, be intrigued by other gods. And soon, because they failed the, to pass that faith down to the next generation, this happened. Israel had lost their spiritual legacy in one generation. In 2018, Barner Research uh, published an article that stated that Generation Z, those who were born, raise your hand if you were born between 1999 and 2015. There's, there's several of you in here. Here we go. Several of you in here. <laughs> well, wait, let me finish the stat <laughs> before you say that. Generation Z is truly the first post-Christian generation. Statistics are showing that Generation Z is twice as likely to emerge as agnostic or atheist. What, and I'll tell you this, what happens in here on Sunday, what happens in here on Sunday nights is of utmost importance. God has given us a growing, thriving, next generation ministry. Um, I think it was a week ago, we looked at, back at the attendance, and there were as many children here downstairs as there were up here in the auditorium. That's a great thing to have. That's a great problem to have. I know it's not all about what happens here in church. It has to continue at your home. We get to gather here together for a couple hours each week. Monday through Saturday, it's up to you, parents, grandparents, to pass this on to that next generation. This time in Israel uh, is kind of the end of central leadership in Israel for a long time. You had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Joshua, and then nearly 400 years of a lack of leadership aside from these judges. Let's look at verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Baal meant uh, husband or owner. Israel here is literally entertaining another husband. In worshiping Baal. Baal was thought to be the god over nature and weather. And so they worshiped Baal in an effort uh, to gain blessing over their crops. Ash, Ashtoreth was uh, an attractive rival to God because she represented a god of love and of fertility. They worshiped her through immoral actions. Things like sacrificing children. Keep in mind that the covenant of God had been made with Israel. He was exclusive to them. Just like a husband and wife are exclusive to one another, God had a righteous claim on Israel's exclusive worship. And so this is why this is angering him. And verse 11 said, it's in the sight of the Lord. Remember, all this, this was done right before God's eyes. Remember in Joshua, we read that the Israelites had partially obeyed and allowed some of the Canaanites to remain in the land. We covered that uh, as we were nearing the end of the book of Joshua, this was the reaping of that choice. 
the Canaanites were now influencing the Israelites rather than the other way around. If they had just simply followed through and driven them out like they were told to, maybe all of this could have been avoided. Let's look at verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, and the hand of the Lord was against them, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn against them, and they were greatly distressed. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That does not sound like a fun place to be, does it? The purpose of this is so that when Israel got to the point where they could not take it anymore, that they would finally turn around back to God. The goal was not the punishment. The goal was repentance. This was a manifestation of God's love for them rather than hate. God had left them alone to deal with the fate, their own fate. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody ever just, you didn't listen? Maybe you didn't listen to mom. Mom said, mom played a little uh, re- reverse philosophy and said, go ahead, touch the stove. Be my guest. Is that bad parenting or is that letting them figure it out on their own? I don't know. Um, I literally, but I do know I, did, I, I literally did this the other night to one of my kids. Blakely, she's not in here, thankfully. Blakely had a loose tooth and that thing was barely hanging on. And so Ashley, we're both a little OCD. Um, Ashley wanted to pull it. She wanted to get that thing out. She didn't want Blakely to do it. Don't give Blakely the benefit of that. Ashley wanted to pull it out. So she's got Blakely in an upside down headlock. (laughs) Blakely is screaming, scratching Ashley's arms. And so I'm being a good husband. I said, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to help one of them. I don't know which one I'm going to help, but I'm going to help one of them. I can't just stand around. Get me involved. And so I put my hands on Blakely's hands because she's scratching. She's like hitting herself in the face. She's hitting Ashley. And so I put my hands down on her hands. I said, just, just be still. Be still. So apparently that was the wrong thing to do. I made everybody cry. Ashley flipped out. Why are you holding her down? I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. My eyes got this big. I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do. I thought she was going to kill me then. I thought she was going to pull my teeth out. It was the wrong thing to do. So I said to Blakely and to the rest of my family, just let her go to sleep with it and she'll swallow it and it'll save us $5. Also the wrong thing to say. Reverse, the reverse philosophy didn't work. God is doing this to the nation of Israel. He said they, they wanted this. He said, fine, you can have it. Then what happens? There's, <laughs> I just thought of this. There's an old Disney cartoon, okay? The old, like the 40s, the 50s, the Donald Duck ones. There's the one where his nephews steal his cigar box. Anybody remember that one? They steal his cigar box, and they go out to the lake, and they're like, they're smoking his cigars, and so Uncle Donald comes out there, and he says, no, y'all don't smoke the whole box, and it all made made them all sick. I don't know why that's a kid's cartoon, but (laughs) it is. That's a real thing. 
God had warned them about this over and over. And then, that's, I'm sorry, it's a terrible transition. And then he said, you can live like that if you like. And he let them do it. We don't get, the point is this, we don't get to choose our consequences. We've all experienced that. Let's look at verse 16, though. Nevertheless, the Lord, nevertheless, that's an important word here. Nevertheless, the Lord, man, i got to hurry, raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. We don't, see, we don't hear that word a whole lot. Never, it's like three words slapped together. It just means in spite of. In spite of Israel, the Lord raised up judges. Verse 17 says, I'm going to hurry. Verse 17 says they still wouldn't hearken. They just, they wouldn't change. All they wanted was out of the trouble they were in. Verse 18, it repented the Lord at the bottom of verse 18, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings. God himself was moved to pity by the cry of the Israelites. You ever ask, he said maybe that's what it took to get the Israelites in that position where they would be fully dependent upon God. You ever ask yourself, why do I have to live in a constant state of crisis? Maybe the answer lies here in this principle. Maybe that's how God keeps you and I dependent upon Him. God is going to continue to bring Israel to a place of constant dependence. We're going to read it several times in the book of Judges. One example is Gideon. God will continue to tell Gideon to lower the amount of troops and soldiers so that they can only say, God did it. Verse 19, we're essentially reading a table of contents for the upcoming remainder of the book of Judges. Um, this is their, their stubborn way. It means stiff-necked. Uh, no change happened in the Israelites. Verses 20 through 23 says you know, that God gave them their desires. i got to hurry here. I want to get to these points. Cycles. We're looking at cycles right here. Do you see the cycles? They're all throughout this chapter. They're all throughout this book. Everything just reverts over and over. And in this case, it is a downward spiral for Israel. Number one, the cycles of sin. This was the cycle for Israel. You can go to that next slide, please. Rebellion, retribution, repentance, restoration. It happened over and over and over and over and over again. Why, though? What kept them from, I mean, what kept them from stopping the cycle? Couldn't it have been possible to do that? Could they have not learned from the consequences of bondage and death and consequences? Their focus, here's the, here, here's the, their focus was not on Jehovah God. Their eyes focused for a time, but not their heart. And the warning here is the same for us. So often, we live in this cycle of sin. We do wrong. We try to make it right. We do wrong. We suffer the consequences of it. We don't get, the, we don't get for, for lack of a better analogy, we don't get the Canaanites out of our life. And we live with the regret later on. What's the difference? We have to fix our hearts on Christ, not just our eyes. Matthew 6.21 tells us, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's not talking about their disciples' wealth. He's talking about their loyalty. What was Israel's problem here? They're cheating on God. Their treasure was what Canaan had to offer. 
And our treasure and our heart can only be found in one place. If we fix our hearts on Christ, we find everything else less beautiful, and we find Him more precious than anything else. F.B. Meyer said this, The days of the judges were those in which that was, there was no king over Israel. Their fitfulness of our, the fitfulness of our experience is often attributable to our failure to recognize the kingship of Jesus. When we take time to recognize who God really is and who we really are, these things line up accordingly. As a child of God and as a man who claims to have been redeemed by Christ, I have to recognize that the lifestyle of sin, making a practice of sin, that belongs to my old self. My new self does not have to live that way anymore, and neither do you. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to conquer sinful practice. If we truly have our hearts fixed on Christ, the next generation behind us is going to see it. Notice it said, it's one generation. They knew nothing about, they wanted nothing to do with God. If we live it, if we teach it, we apply it, we teach it to the next generation. They're going to see it in us. Number two, there's cycles of sin, there's also cycles of grace. We must remember God's faithfulness. We can go to that next slide, please. The title of this series in Judges is Fallen People and a Faithful God for a Reason. The grievous sin that Israel continued to commit in the face of God, it was met with grace. And it's grace that continues to bring the judges to bail them out in their time of distress. There's no true change of heart in Israel. Uh, they just keep on returning to, to captivity and bondage. And what is it met with? Go back to look at verse 18 really quickly. The bottom of verse 18. We already read it one time. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. The heart of a holy God is moved by the cries of the people that He loves. That is grace by compassion. There's also persistent grace. From the beginning of Israel's history, in the calling of Abraham forward, we see God's grace. His grace had survived the, the, the willfulness and failings of the patriarchs. It had survived the worship of the golden calf. It had survived the ungrateful grumbling of the generations in the wilderness. The grace of God was persistent, it was patient, and it was long-suffering. It continued up through this book of Judges, and we're going to see it. We will see that the Lord raised up in His grace Judges again and again and again, and His grace went the distance. This persistent grace outlasted disappointment and betrayal. Judge after judge, God continues to send help their way. And I've got good news for us. This sounds like a really, really bad ending, and, and Colin was right. Judges does not end well, but even in that we can see the grace of God at work. And the good news for us is that just like we have cycles of sin in our life because of our failure to obey, because of our failure to clean things out, thankfully, there's cycles of grace. He made a covenant with His people. He followed that up with faithfulness and persistence and that brought judges over and over and over again. Remember, they did this in his face. God saw it all. He sees it all in our life too. But there's grace. I'm so thankful for grace. 
Unfortunately for the Israelites, the downward spiral caused them to have generational ramifications. If you look at the land that God was going to grant Israel in the land of Canaan, it was about 300,000 square miles. And it's estimated that at the peak of Israel's time, in the time of David and Solomon, they only occupied 30,000 square miles. They got to enjoy about a tenth of what was expected and given to them. I don't want to miss anything that God has for me because my disobedience gets in the way. My encouragement to you tonight is if there's something that's holding you back, Break that cycle. Embrace the cycle of grace that we get to live in and fix your heart on Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for your grace that sustains me, the grace that changes me, the grace that gives me the chance to start again. Lord, may we fix our hearts on you, not just our eyes. Lord, out of of our heart, or all the issues of life. Lord, may we, may we decide tonight to change things, to fix our hearts on you. Because of your grace, you've enabled us to do it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge from judges. Lord, may we heed the warning that's given to us tonight. Your name, your name we pray. Amen.